Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. In the living of these words, we are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Glory be to God. When our Jewish friends read Scripture, they come with questions looking to start a conversation. We Christians, shorn from our Jewish roots, too often come looking for answers, effectively ending a conversation. The two radically different approaches lead to very different results. In the Gospels, did you know that Jesus is asked 187 questions. He answers maybe eight of them. He himself asked 307, which might lead you to wonder if faith really isn't so much about certainty as it is learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions. Today's scripture has Jesus asking two questions, one of James and John, the other of their mother. It's his question to their mother that starts the exchange. What do you want? He asked. He could just as well ask it of all of us. Why are you here? Why are you connected in worship with us? What are you seeking? What would make this moment of value to you? What is it that you're wanting to take away? What do you want of God this day? Does Jesus know that we have needs? Does he sense that at times we have hidden agendas? Since Scripture tells us that James and John were the sons of Zebedee, we can assume that Their mother's a Mrs. Zebedee. Tradition identifies her as Salome, named by Mark as present at the crucifixion and as one of the myrrh bearers, one of the women who found Jesus' empty tomb. Medieval tradition says that she was the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. Does her status as Jesus' aunt make her so brazen in her request of Jesus? 
Is she simply taking a page from her sister's playbook? From that time when Jesus had to say to Mary, Woman, what concern is that to me and to you? Fast forward to today, and we get a similar response. Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, the mother of James and John says, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Back when I had a part in the placement of pastors, I once had a pastor's daughter come to my office and tell me in no uncertain terms why she thought her dad should get a much bigger appointment. Some of you have shared with me about spouses who've come to your workplace pleading for their partner. Can we say over-functioning? I see it sometimes at weddings. Would you believe that all of our clergy here have had parents come and insist that since they were paying for the wedding that they'd be calling the shots. We've had to say on more than one occasion, if the bride and groom aren't able to make their own decisions about their wedding, then they probably aren't ready to be married. Is this what's going on with James and John and their mother? Do we have a mother who's pushing her own agendas, acting on her hopes, her dreams for her sons? Is she shamelessly politicking for them? Is she acting out of a sense of her entitlement? They deserve it. My boys deserve the position and power. Is she, by extension, securing her own place and position and power. My kids are cool. By extension, so am I. In Mark's Gospel, almost the exact same scene occurs, except Mom is nowhere to be found. James and John come directly to Jesus with their request makes you wonder how much that's inside of us that drives us comes from our parents and how much we can own. Some of us have had children in their teens or early 20s tell us that we're to blame for all that's gone wrong in their lives. Don't we all have to sort through for ourselves how much of who we are is a response to parental pressure how much is in us versus how much is on us. Even for those of us who've lost our parents to death, don't we all hear their voices inside us still? Their expectations driving us as we seek their blessing, wanting to avoid any shame or blame. The push and pull of parental pressure can be complicated, driving and determining so much of what we do. What is clear in Matthew's telling is that James and John don't try and stop their mother or 
show any embarrassment caused by her over-functioning? Are they enabling her? Or is she speaking for them? Without a doubt, both mother and sons have misunderstood. And so do we. We want to make it about status. Jesus is interested in service. Q question number two. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He wants to know. Jesus wants to know. Not what we want to get, but rather what we're capable of giving. We want status. He wants service. We want lights and cameras. He's looking for what they're doing when no one's looking. Stephen Matson is author of The Great Reckoning, Surviving a Christianity that Looks Nothing Like Christ. As he says, Christians shouldn't ask themselves whether they're Christian or not, but whether they're actually being Christ-like or not. How many of us have been asked if we wanted to be a Christian? Maybe someone should have asked us whether or not we wanted to be Christ-like. Jesus is a servant of through and through. He seeks nothing more than feeding us, healing us, teaching us, loving us. And it's no campaign strategy for him. This is his way of life. Truly the good life for him. Which is why he can't give us what they ask. He can only give his life. A life lived with and for others often without reward. It's a life with meaning and purpose, to be sure. And it's a life worth living, a life with so much life in it that death cannot touch it, not even death on a cross. Are you able, he asks. We are able, they say. Can you see them straightening their hair, adjusting their robes, getting ready to step into the circle of light and face the cameras with Jesus? What they don't know, what they can't know, is that He's headed in the exact opposite direction. They don't have a clue. It occurs to me that in the nine years that we've been together as pastor and church, I haven't shared with you about when I first answered God's call to ministry. What I can tell you is that I have a crystal clear memory about that experience of going down the aisle of my church and telling my pastor and parents and church family that I was sure God was calling me into ministry. I was 15. And looking back, I didn't have a clue. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, is that what you'd tell the younger you? 
You don't have a clue. I didn't have a clue how many times I'd have people who I trusted betray me. How many times I'd have people I thought liked me reject me. How many times I'd have people let me down and disappoint me. I didn't have a clue of the impact for my family and for my kids. The number of times I'd be gone. Just ask my kids and they'd tell you they remember the Christmas morning that I had to leave because a church member had died and suddenly I was needed. I didn't have a clue. Worst of all, at age 15 I had no clue how many more times I would fall short of my own best understandings of the gospel. How many times I'd let my own baggage, my own narcissism, my own insecurities and the needs for control or overconfidence get in the way of truly caring. I didn't have a clue how many days I'd start out wanting to help people only to end up doing more harm than I'd ever intend. I didn't have a clue. Do you? Jesus knows. And He knows that the good seats and any status isn't His to give. It's sort of just like when the disciples want to know when He'll come again. And He says, but about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For all our talk about Jesus knowing everything, there seems to be some things Jesus doesn't know. Even so, He knows that any seating arrangements in the kingdom, any status, if there is any to be had, won't be up to Him. What He does know is service. And His question still rings in our ears. What do you want? Can we maybe just sit with that question for a while? What do you want?